This guy is a great big phony. If a body meets a body coming through the right. Okay. If a body kiss a body need a body cry. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I just burped three times. Welcome to the OK Gatsby colon catcher in, in the, the Y. y. I'm going to just go back up and see what Kevin does on his own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Pull feel the rug out from under him. Dear the headlights moment. I was like, oh, this is my time to shine. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think we're that kind of podcast, but I, uh, yeah, I had three audible burps like a minute ago that would have been, they just good. They were good yeah, burps. They were good burps. We uh, yeah we had a we're sipping on a beer while we do this one. It's not it's okay beer. <laughs> it's really yeah. I got uh, free beer for a show and uh, I'm not gonna mention the brewery, but it's not good. Probably because they. It's been it sitting in our living room for a month and a half. That that is very true. It's been sitting yeah warm in our living room. Okay, so <laughs> speaking anyway. of nothing, um, we are doing chapter 17 and 18. I think these are like thematically kind of uh, connected. I like the, I mean they're. They're dramatically connected. They're like the thing that yeah. happened. It's a date. It's a lot of a lot of the book is a big thing happens, and he spends three chapters kind of going on his own little mental odyssey, reacting to it. And we know nothing. We know nothing about that. Yeah. Me and Kevin don't know anything about overthinking stuff. <laughs> overthinking big moments. And yeah. Then, uh, accidentally walking right into another big moment. Self-aggrandizing. Yeah, um, of course. No, it's uh, it's the big thing is that we get to finally meet Sally Hayes. The Sally Hayes, who the anti Jane Gallagher, was neat. Yeah, she. So like, yeah, Sally Hayes is never really praised. It's like he likes, he, she likes Holden. He sees her. He her. calls her. He d- she doesn't call him. He calls her. So he clearly, he wants to spend time with her. That's right. Sally Hayes of the Christmas tree letter. Christmas tree. Yeah. So there's clearly a long history between them. Yep. Uh, and now they're gonna go on a date. They're gonna go see a play, and then they're gonna go ice skating afterwards. Yes. A nice day. In New York, if you did that, that would be a big day. That would actually be pretty expensive. You have to probably mortgage your house. Yeah. yeah <laughs> to go see to a, one, play. a Broadway play. I mean, oh any, my God. almost any play, you're, you're, not, you're talking 30 bucks unless you're going to like. Bare minimum. Yeah. Broadway. Our friend put on a one-man show, and it costs $25 to go to if you weren't, weren't his friend. If you are his friend, you can go for 12 Yeah. Jeez Louise. That's just a guy talking to a bunch of people in chairs. Yeah. It's New York okay. theater, baby. Yeah. So he went to a play very expensive. So, uh. He bought the tickets already. The Lunts are in it. These yeah, famous the Lunts. Uh, so I was early when I got there, so I just sat down on one of those leather couches right near the clock in the lobby and watched the girls. <laughs> Not love a lot, of, a little bit of voyeurism. <laughs> yeah, he's just... It's a big part of this, is him staring at other people. Yeah, but right now he's kind of feeling kind of sexy. He is feeling sexy. A lot of schools were home for vacation already, and there were about a million girls sitting and standing around waiting for the day. Girls with their legs crossed. Girls with their legs not crossed. Girls with terrific legs. Girls with lousy legs. Girls that look like a swell girls. Girls, girls look like they'd be bitches if you knew them. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Bitches if you knew them. They'd be bitches if you knew them. <laughs> It is very much a sixteen-year-old boy, but just looking at a pack of women, being like, yeah. "That girl would be a bitch." But he's a he's a big empath. I mean, I like that's where he, I f- I feel this sometimes where he goes. In a way, it was sort of depressing too, because you kept wondering what the hell would have happened to all of them when they got out of school and college. He's uh, you know he doesn't know. Yeah, he's contemplating okay. that everyone has to do something. That they're not going to be these like seventeen-year-old girls he's staring at, right? And forever, yeah, they're going to have to go live lives, right? 
they're gonna marry dopey guys. Guys that always talk about how many miles they get to a ga- gallon in their goddamn cars. Guys that get sore and childish as hell if you beat them at golf, or even just some stupid game like ping pong. Guys that are that are very mean. Guys that never read books. Guys that are very boring. So it's a funny, like a parallel listing. Yeah, he uh, definitely is harder on the men. Yeah, like, oh, some of these girls are pretty. Some of these girls are not. Some of them are probably bitches. Yeah, and guys are like. They're all bad. They love cars. They hate being beat. They have weird egos, and they're boring. Yeah. It's funny how his, myth, his misan- mis- misanthropy, mis- misanthropy, no, misanthropy. Yeah, misanthropy. His misanthropy towards women has to do with objectifying them as well as, like, uh, uh, taking their bitches. He thinks they're dumb. He A definitely lot, thinks they're dumb. He thinks the great majority of women are dumb. Yeah, he I does. think that is, uh, that's for sure. But, I mean, I think men he has more contempt for because he has more familiarity with being in their immediate mm-hmm. surrounding. Women he doesn't understand, and he says that a lot. Yeah. Where men he does understand, and he finds it disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Guys um, that get mad about golf is very funny. He does on this long rant about good whistlers uh, and about how he had a roommate that was a huge bore, but he was a good whistler. Uh, so maybe, like, you shouldn't call guys boring because maybe, like, they're good whistlers. Yeah. And I think it's it's just – kind of the pattern of he's never willing to fully condemn anything where he's like this guy was bad but he was a good whistler and I, like so he's always willing to forgive if he could find one good quality yeah that's kind of nice yeah i don't think that happened before with strad ladder strad ladder of like oh no he, he's he can be generous like yep he is a jerk and i hate him and i've written a whole book about how much i hate him and how he went on a date with my jane yep but i mean if he had a tie you wanted he'd give you that tie he'd, he'd give you that tie right away yeah so he's never re- willing to 100% condemn anyone. He's like, And so even this, he's like, hey, I shouldn't say this guy's boring because maybe he whistles good. <laughs> oh yeah, Here then, comes Sally. Yeah. Finally, old Sally started coming up the stairs, and I started down to meet her. She looked terrific. She really did. She had on this black coat and sort of a black beret. She hardly ever wore a hat, but that beret looked nice. The funny part is I felt like marrying her the minute I saw her. I'm crazy. I didn't even like her much, and yet all of a sudden I felt like I was in love with her and wanted to marry her. I okay. swear to God, I'm crazy. I admit it. <laughs> so we were, we're going to see Holden in this, in this chapter kind of go crazy for Sally Hayes. Yes. And this would be in the movie so much of her coming up the stairs and oh, then yeah. like, pretty woman. Slow motion. <laughs> Walking down the street. Of course. <laughs> yeah. She, I don't. I think he describes her as good luck. And like, she must be because this is like a woman that is against everything he believes in. Yeah. She's the anti-Holden, but... He wants to marry her. Yeah. He later tells her he loves her. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Very teenage teenager. Yeah. It, right away, he complains. He goes, Holden, she said, it's marvelous to see you. It's been ages. She had one of those very loud, embarrassing voices when you met her somewhere. She got away with it because she was so damn good looking, but it always gave me a pain in the ass. So Bingo. <laughs> She's one uh, sentence in. One sentence in already. Like, I wanted to bury her. And I, didn't shoot, I was in love with her when she walked up. She says one thing, and she's like, what a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> she's so annoying. What a pain in the ass. Uh, swell to see you. She's, he's happy to see her. Yeah. <laughs> Am I late? Am, I told her no, but she was around 10 minutes late. As a matter of fact, I didn't give a damn, though. All that crap about the heaven <laughs> cartoons in the Saturday evening post- and all about guys on street corners looking sore as hell because their dates are late. That's bunk. If a girl looks swell when she meets you, who gives a damn if she's late? Nobody. Period. That's a fun little uh, like observation about life. That's right. I can see the Saturday evening post of like all those like fifties guys being like, 
man, she's really taking a while to get here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Putting on the makeup all night. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a good point where you, when your uh, your partner shows up and they're looking good, like, yeah, whatever. Man. But also, Holden uh, clearly it's already been established. The pattern is that he, Holden should not like Sally Hayes, but he does because she is pretty. Yeah, that's she, what we have. Go, she's go. a knockout, and it really fries his it, it's, ethics and values. He's already swung twice. In the uh, assassination of Sally She's Hayes. annoying, but actually I like her a lot. And, and I hate her so much, but I'm in love with her. She's so beautiful. Yeah. Um. And this is my... <laughs> I like this twist a lot. What are we going to see, she said. I don't know. The Lunts. It's all I could get tickets for. The Lunts. Oh, marvelous. And then he says, I told you she'd go mad when she heard it was for the Lunts. <laughs> <laughs> in its own paragraph, its own sentence. <laughs> what I like about this is that it's a straight up... Ferris Bueller turning to the camera, being like, "I told you," she'd say that. Like, Holden, you. This is all supposed to be in the past. Yeah, it's all. So in the of same. course you knew she was gonna say that. You made a prediction <laughs> earlier in the book. Like you could say, "I knew she was gonna say it." You don't say, "I told you." Like, of course, you're our source. <laughs> told you so. Yeah, it's so funny how uh, <laughs> how it's like Jim from the office turning to yeah, camera, just like, like the. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so funny. Yeah, that that lines in there is so funny. But me. one more time, we're getting whip. I'm getting whiplash from his opinion about Sally Hayes. You know, yeah, because uh, right away we horsed around a little bit in the cab on the way over to the theater. Woo! At first, she didn't want to because she had her lipstick on and all, but I was being seductive as hell, and she didn't have any alternative. That second part of that sentence is strange. <laughs> yeah, strange is a one word for it. Yeah, he, she didn't have any alternative. So Holden's being uh, sexually aggressive. Yeah, it sounds like he's being a little pushy, but it sounds like they have a history. And he was being seductive as hell. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, we both t- know what that what uh, that's like. Yeah, being so. seductive as hell. Yeah, we don't have to go on about it. Yep, you guys probably know too. Yeah. Okay, and then the damn near fell off the seat. So they're making out so hard at this port, yeah. New York. You ever made out in the back of a taxi cab? Uh huh. Okay. I, I, I guess an Uber counts as a taxi cab, right? Yeah, I'd give that. Uh, so no, not a taxi cab, but an Uber. Interesting. An Uber, yeah. Okay. I guess uh, I haven't done that, and I haven't done it in New York, so I bet a taxi cab stopping real fast would really throw things off. Uh, Then just to show you how crazy I am, when we were coming out of this big clinch, I told her I loved her and all. It was a lie, of course, but the thing is I meant it when I said it. I'm crazy. I swear to God I am. So what? how does he feel about Sally Hayes? (laughs) He's in love with her. He can't help it. He he can't help it. It's like that opposites attract thing where he's like, I'm so in love with this woman. But I shouldn't be. She is everything wrong with society. It's like a long argument with his hormones. It's like a yeah, going back and forth. Like his 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 rationality and his sexuality are. He does say battling. that at this after making out with her. So that's a good point of like, he was getting all riled up and being seductive as hell, and now he all of a sudden I love you. Yeah, yeah. And Ugh. then and then her response, "Oh, darling, I love you too." She said. Then right in the same damn breath. She said, promise me you'll let your hair grow. Crew cuts are getting corny, and your hair is so lovely. Lovely my ass. <laughs> lovely my ass in its own paragraph, its own <laughs> sentence. I love it. So it's another turn to the camera. Lovely my ass. So Yeah, so cynical about any interaction. Like, he throws out – he gives Sally such weird things to play with, and then when she responds like a, a person, he goes like, she's such a phony person, I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> he's – yeah, he's – uh. He's going back and forth so fast, right? He loves her, and then all of a sudden, lovely my ass. She's a phony. She's like just saying, yeah, she loves him so that she can judge his hair. Yeah, yeah. She says the mean thing about the crew cut, about it being so cheesy. 
Shaking my head. Now he talks about plays. And so plays are just kind of like live movies. The actors. He hates <laughs> the actors, right? Yeah. Well, there was a line. I forgot where it was, but he goes like, it was just a bunch of actors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what yep, I got it right here. Uh, I didn't care too much when anybody was in the family died or anything. They were all just a bunch of actors. The husband and wife were a pretty old, nice old couple, very witty and all, but I couldn't get too interested in them. For one thing, they kept drinking tea or some god thing, thing throughout the whole play. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so he's uh, yeah. once with the old couple. So he, it's like... It's the same thing with Ernie, where he yes. he's ranted about the funniness of bad pe- people who are bad at their art, and then he is also mad at the people who are great at their art and show it, so that they too ruin their like sort of humble. He wants like a humble genius, is what he's looking for. Yeah, but he says that uh, they were the only ones in the show, the Lunts, I mean, that looked like they had any real brains. I have to admit it. So he does respect them, just like he respects Ernie. He mentions that Ernie also in the same paragraph. Yeah, they acted a little bit the way old Ernie down in the village plays the piano. If you do something too good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off, and then you're not as good anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, his thoughts on art come up again and again and again. Yeah, and then they go out, and they hang out and smoking, and it's uh, a small thing. There's some dopey movie actor was standing near us having a cigarette. I don't know his name, but he always plays the part of a guy in a war movie that gets yellow before it's time to go over the top. <laughs> so there's a guy who's literally paid to be a coward. <laughs> and the the being yellow and being a coward is kind of run throughout this whole thing. And it's kind of a, a theme that keeps coming up of like... And this guy is a guy literally who pretends to be a coward. So, like, he's a phony coward. So, at the layers... <laughs> yeah, the worst kind of guy. <laughs> he's not even a coward. He's pretending to be a coward for money in the movies. <laughs> but it was also what I liked is um, this scene of, of Sally seeing her old friend from college. Or her old... A friend she used to know. Yeah, Ivy League guy. And it's such a New York scene of... Then all of a sudden she saw some jerk she knew on the other side of the lobby, some guy in one of those very dark gray flannel suits and one of those checkered vests, strictly Ivy League. Big deal. He was standing next to the wall, smoking himself to death and looking bored as hell, <laughs> which is like a very Brooklyn Now thing to be well-dressed and oh, yeah. <laughs> smoking a cigarette and trying to look like you didn't care about anything. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I'm just, who cares? But it's also, and then so Sally and this boy, talk to each other so it's again it's holden's nightmare she gets to watch he gets has to watch sally talk to some like phony guy he hates and her them trip all over each other just pretending that they love each other being so phony yeah old buddy ruse was nauseating the funny part was they probably met each other just once at a party or something like you know like yeah they i do like that list of you just thought they'd taken baths in the same bathtub or something (laughs) when they were little kids old buddy ruse (laughs) so much contempt for every interaction sally hayes has i love it (laughs) but he's so in love with her. it's just yeah it's just her physical presence that makes him uh, at all like her uh yeah his name was george something i don't even remember and he went to andover big big deal you should have seen him when old Sally asked him how he liked the play. And this is such a great detail because I could picture this guy in my mind. He was the kind of phony that have to give themselves room when they answer somebody's question. <laughs> and I could so see it of like the man like swinging his arms back, taking a step back and being like, here's my opinion. That's how important his opinion is. Yeah, he cracks his knuckles. Here we go. Yeah. Stepped on the lady's foot behind him. And then I, this, he said the play it itself was no masterpiece, but the, that the Lunts, of course, were absolute angels. 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 For Christ's sake, angels. <laughs> <laughs> that killed me. 
So he hates this guy so much. And Sally likes him. So it's like it's like clearly yeah. this is what Sally's into. Yeah. It's these She's Ivy League looking guys yeah. talking about plays, hanging out at theaters, smoking cigarettes, right. acting like you don't care about anything. Yeah. And then the, he like he walks off with them. Like he, the guy's following them to the cab, but he has to go uh meet his friends. I could see them all sitting around in some bar with their goddamn checkered vests, criticizing shows and books and women and these tired, snobby voices. They kill me, those guys. <laughs> so with a stroke of the pen, he writes off a whole subsection of New York society. It's these Ivy League 20-somethings. Um, and then they go ice skating. But he he says, I sort of hated old Sally by that time we got in the cab after listening to that phony Andover bastard for about 10 hours. I was all set to take her home and all. I really was. But she said, I have a marvelous idea. She was always having a marvelous idea. <laughs> Listen, she said, what time do you have to be home for dinner? I mean, are you in a terrible hurry or something? Do you have to be home any special time? Me? No. Sp- no. No special time, I said. True or just never spoken, boy. <laughs> uh, so they go ice skating in Radio City. Radio City, the most basic place to go ice, ice skating. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. The most touristy place to go. Yep, that's where Sally wants to go. Uh, you can rent these darling little skating skirts, old Sally said. Jeanette Colts did it last week. That's why she was so hot to go. She wanted to see herself in one of those little skirts that just come down over their butt and all. <laughs> and this is this is all <laughs> very funny. He's so blunt. And that's why I think he resonates so much with so many people is that he does not mince words, even when he's insane. He goes, so we went. And after they gave us our skates, they gave Sally this little blue butt twitcher of a dress to wear. She really did look damn good in it, though. I have to admit it, and don't think she didn't know it. She kept walking ahead of me so that I'd see how cute her little ass looked. <laughs> <laughs> it did look pretty cute, too, I have to admit it. <laughs> her little ass. I think Holden might be a butt guy, an ass he, man. He does talk about butts a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's, it's a perfect reconstruction of the adolescent psyche, and that's that's the triumph of the novel, but it, it is kind of weird at points. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. To, to be a forty-year-old man writing this writing this novel is kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of it is a little creepy in a way, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of funny. Where like how much about her is how she looks, and like you could literally picture this scene of like seventeen-year-old couple at Radio City, the girl put on a, like a nice blue dress to show off her butt, and is like clearly teasing the guy in front of him, and this guy is like both miserable. And, like, very attracted to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can't help himself. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing with Sally Hayes. I love this. We should track that as, like, how Holden is uh, battling with his own hormones right now. Yeah. And this was a little thing we wanted to... The funny part was, though, we were the worst skaters on the whole goddamn rink. Funny. Which Weird. seems in conflict with, like, earlier he he talked about how his mom had bought him skates. So it seems like he skates for a hobby. She she bought him the wrong kind of skates. So maybe so he just maybe gave up skating altogether. But it seems like if she bought him skates, it was a thing he was doing. He was doing. But maybe we're making an, maybe the maybe the assumption is because you start with the assumption that everything in the book is exactly yeah. correctly placed, right? So yeah. and then it's not a mistake. Um, in that case, maybe his mom just thought that they were kind of cool because they were the wrong kind of skates. He, he asked for racing skates, which and, and got she got hockey him, skates. She got him yeah. hockey skates, which. Uh, so maybe he just got curious about it. It yeah. was one of his new hobbies that, as a rich kid, he could just try. Um, but it does seem a little weird that he's not good at skating. Well, it's like uh, I've got three other three brothers, and we've all gotten like a guitar at one point. Yeah. None of us have played guitar because we have bad aptitude for it. But we've all like received a guitar. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it's there's just something about. I don't know. But anyway, that that is funny though. Look into that. If you're a student, you could probably write a PhD on that someday. 
Write a PhD. Write a PhD. Email it to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to go get a table inside and have a drink or something? I said to her finally, that's the most marvelous idea you've had all day. So the only person who responded positively to Holden's let's get a drink has been Sally. Yeah, <laughs> so at least there's that. She's the company that he's been looking for. Yeah, she's not the company he wants. He wants no. Jane. Yeah, or he, he wants, wants any any cab driver. <laughs> yeah, Jane or a cab driver than Sally Hayes. But Sally Hayes is the only one who's like, yeah, I'd love to she hang responds. out. Yeah, and she's she's cute as hell. Yeah. Uh, so here comes, so just real quick, it's a little ramping up. She's got. They're kind of tired and they're burnt out. And goes and she goes. Look, I have to know. Are you are you or aren't you coming over to help me trim the tree Christmas Eve? I have to know. She was still being snotty on account of her ankles when she was skating. I wrote you I would. You've asked me that about 20 times. Sure I am. I mean, I have to know, she says, starting to look all around the goddamn room. And now here comes... Well, so this... Well, first of all, like, the, this is the... Uh, so what are we? This is the... Yeah, uh, this is 100% the so what are we This is the DTR, talk. determine the relationship talk. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, of course, I'm coming over. And it's never decisive because I... Nothing means that... I don't... Maybe it's just things that mean the same thing. Because he says, I love you in the cab. Yeah. And then she, like, flirts with this college guy for a while in front of him. She, on the phone, told him about all these other guys she's seeing. True. Uh, they they make out, but, I mean, you don't have to be married to make out. You hear that, Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Grandma? Times are changed. Yeah. I'm in New York now. People make out. People make out even when they're not married. Even when they're not married. <laughs> with uh, tongue and everything. But uh, let's see. But yeah, I mean, it's just a simple like, hey, I got to know, are you coming over for Christmas? And I think that, for whatever reason, is very important to Sally. Is that coming over, to, that probably means something very deep in their family. But then here comes Holden's, probably his most manic monologues to date. <laughs> yes. Probably of the whole book. This is probably his the epicenter of all of his mania coming into one big moment yeah this is like uh, a window into his mind and he's speaking it out loud which is very weird uh yeah so this is all out loud and a big thing that we'll go over later is that his volume is out of control <laughs> he has no control of it or no sense of it so bear that in mind uh a one a two a skiddly diddly do hey sally what did you ever get fed up i mean did you ever get scared that everything was going to go lousy unless he did something i mean do you like school and all that stuff? It's a terrific bore. I mean, do you hate it? I know it's a terrific bore, but do you hate it is what I mean? Well, I don't exactly hate it. You always have well, to. Well, I hate it. Boy, do I hate it. But it isn't just that. It's everything. I, I hate living in New York and all taxi cabs and Madison Avenue buses with the drivers and all always yelling at you to get out the rear door and being introduced to phony guys that call the Luntz Angels and going up and down in elevators when you just want to go outside and guys fitting your pants all the time at Brooks and people always Don't asking, shout, please. Take cars. Take most people, they're crazy about cars. They worry if they get a little scratch on them, and they're always talking about how many miles they get to a gallon, and if they get a brand new car already, they start thinking about trading it in for one that's even newer. I don't even like old cars. I mean, they don't even interest me. I'd rather have a goddamn horse. A horse is at least human, for God's sake. A horse, you can at least get out of it. I don't know what you're even talking about. You jump from one... You know something? You're probably the only reason... I'm in New York right now, or anywhere. If you weren't around, 
I'd probably be someplace way the hell off in the woods or some goddamn place. You're the only reason I'm around, practically. You're sweet. You ought to go to a boys' school sometime. Try it sometime. It's full of phonies. And all you do is study so that you can learn enough to be a smart enough to be able to buy a goddamn Cadillac someday. You have to keep masking, believe that you give a damn if the football team loses. And all you do is talk about girls and liquor and sex all day. And everybody sticks together in these dirty little goddamn cliques. The guys that are on the basketball team stick together. The guys who are Catholics stick together. The goddamn intellectuals stick together. The guys that play bridge stick together. Even the guys that belong to the goddamn Book of the Month Club stick together. If you have to try to have, if you try to have an intelligent conversation. Now listen, lots of boys get more out of school than that. I agree. I agree they do. Some of them, but that's all I get out of it. See, that's my point. That's exactly my goddamn point. I, I don't get hardly anything out of anything. I'm in bad shape. I'm in lousy shape. You certainly are. Then suddenly I got this idea. Look. Here's my idea. How would you like to get the hell out of here? Here's my idea. I know this guy down in Greenwich Village that we can borrow his car for a couple weeks. He used to go to the same school I did, and he still owes me 10 bucks. We could, What we could do is tomorrow morning we could drive up to Massachusetts and Vermont and all around there. See, it's beautiful as hell up there. It really is. I have about 180 bucks in the bank. I could take it out when it opens in the morning, and then I can go down and get this guy's car. No kidding. We could stay in these cabin camps and stuff like that till the dough runs out. Then when the dough runs out, I can get a job somewhere, and we could live somewhere with a brook and all. And later on, we can get married or something. I could chop all our own wood in the wintertime and all. Honest to God, we could have a terrific time. What do you say? Come on. What do you say? W- w- will, will you do it with me, please? You can't just do something like that. Why the, Why not? Why, why the hell not? Stop screaming at me, please. Which is crap, because I wasn't screaming at her at all. Why can't you? Why not? Because you can't, that's all. In the first place, we're both practically children. And did you ever stop to think what you'd do if you didn't get a job when your money ran out? We'd starve to death. That whole thing's so fantastic. It, it isn't, even isn't fantastic. I'd get a job. Don't worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. What the, what the, what the hell's the matter? You, do you want to go with me? Say so if you don't. It isn't that. It isn't that at all. We'll have oodles of time to do these things, all those things. I mean, after you go to college and all, and if we should get married and all. There'll be oodles of marvelous places to go to. You're just... No, there won't be. There won't be oodles of places to go to at all. It'd be entirely different. What? I can't hear you. One minute you scream at me and the next you... I said no. There wouldn't be marvelous places to go to after I went to college and all. Open your ears. It'd be entirely different. We'd have to go downstairs in elevators with suitcases and stuff. We'd have to phone up everybody and tell them goodbye and send them postcards from hotels and all. And I'd be working in some office, making a lot of dough, and riding to work in cabs and Madison Avenue buses and reading newspapers and playing bridge all the time and going to the movies and seeing a lot of stupid shorts and coming attractions and newsreels. Newsreels! Christ almighty, there's always a dumb horse race and some dame breaking a bottle over a ship and some chimpanzee riding a goddamn bicycle with pants on. It wouldn't be the same at all. You don't see what I mean at all. Maybe I don't. Maybe you don't either. (laughs) Come on. Let's get out of here. You give me a royal pain in the ass if you want to know the truth. And And scene. We both hated each other's guts by that time. You could see there wasn't any sense trying to have an intelligent conversation. I was sorry as hell I'd started it. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. So this is like Holden's manifesto, basically, right? Yeah, this is him. And keep in mind, this is on a date. This is him. (laughs) (laughs) 
this is his date conversation. But basically, he goes, "I hate, I hate cars. I wish they were horses. <laughs> <laughs> they're more human." That is so. At least they're funny. human. Yeah. That is like, <laughs> so. That is such a masterstroke of comedy. I mean, it's like because you get what he means, but it's so yeah. But a he's really like having a, a manic episode, and he's not. He's going as fast as he can. No control of his volume. So he, this is like imagine you're like walking by. These are people at Radio City, very popular <laughs> area. And imagine you're a tourist and you just see this six foot three, gray haired boy standing over his date, being like, "And we'll go to Maine. And we'll go to Vermont. <laughs> it's beautiful as hell up there. It won't be the same. We'll have to go down elevators." <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah, yeah." The, yeah his main his main protest is against elevators. I mean, Taxi like, cabs. He mentions a thousand times. Madison Avenue buses. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I, you get – but okay, so – right, so Holden's acting crazy. That said, within Holden's it, rant – It's from a genuine place of yes. what he does not like. What's been established the whole book of what he hates. This is what he – this is the things that he hates. And it's like he's finally starting, sort of pinning it down to like it's artifice. and Yeah, it's his first attempt to relate to another human being. It doesn't go well. Yeah. But he's like, these are all the problems I have with society, with my life. I want to make a change. I want to go to the woods. I want to go somewhere else. I'll, I'll take you with me, and we'll be married, and it'll be great. And then she goes, no, if we just play the system for a few more years, we could do it an easy way. And he's yeah. like, if I play the system for one more second, I will die. <laughs> right. Sally Hayes is definitely invested in the system, which is what you get from her being into the Lunts and her being into the trimming the Christmas tree and her um, liking the Ivy League guy. Yeah, any guy who's ever been to college she talks to. Yeah. <laughs> it's... And where he's like, no, if we do that, then we've played the system, then we're corrupted, then it's not the same. Because if he goes to the woods now, he's rejected society. Okay. If he goes to the woods after he goes to college with a good job, he's just a different part of society. Yeah. He's worried about worried about cars and worried about elevators and suitcases. and. So he doesn't like being in New York, which is fine. Everyone's got to get out of New York every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's all he, he hates – I do like it where <laughs> it's like, and guys fit in your pants all the time at Brooks. All the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, at Brooks such Brothers? A, that's such a specific problem for Holden <laughs> Caulfield, is that every day he's at Brooks Brothers getting his pants fitted. <laughs> a service you paid good money for. <laughs> yeah. He has to keep buying new pants. Yeah, what do you, just stop. Yeah, no one's, there's no laws making you go there, dude. But that's, I mean, that's the general and, and the specific, right? That's the, yeah, that the, the feeling of having your pants being done at Brooks Brothers is must it's be all like a part thing. of that same cycle of he's an upper class New York prep school kid. Yes, he's in that circle and he sees where it goes. It's like oh we go we go to college we get a job in an office I make a lot of money we every time we go on vacation we have to call up thirteen people we don't actually like and <laughs> say goodbye <laughs> goodbye I'll send you a postcard and a gift I love you so much and then they go in a nice hotel and they give a man their suitcases and they go up. It's all this. He's like he sees where his life's going, yeah, and he's so unhappy, and so he goes. The path is making me unhappy, which is a thing. I mean, I grew up upper middle class, which is a, a friendly way to say rich, <laughs> but it's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you see everyone. This book was very relatable. You see, you see like, oh, I'm gonna be a lawyer, or, right. and you're like, and you're so miserable at 16. You think like, if I keep following this path, that'll make me miserable. It's like you have no. Nothing actually to judge it off of. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. This is this is a very adolescent. It's all obsessive projection onto a future you do not understand. <laughs> but also, you gotta feel you gotta feel like 
like uh like Salinger believes these things. Oh, for sure. Right? I mean, you don't become a writer when you could be a lawyer if you don't think that. Yeah. So like some sort of rejection of that path is worthy. Yeah. So what Holden's saying is almost like he feels like an outcast in society. He feels he feels apart from it. But he also feels like he could. I think what's his problem is that he's easily included in it. He's not the one who's left out. He's very rarely the one right. that's left. It's just that the place he belongs makes him just feel disgusted. He gets into these bars. DB's uh, ex-girlfriend wants, wants to talk to him. Right. People, he could have played the game. He could play the game so easily. Right. And he's so disgusted with the game. But the problem is that he could, I mean, he can go on a date with Sally Hayes, the funniest girl, but he has to go on a date and he, with her. He's the one who suggests it. Right. So it's that he knows that he can participate in this life and have an easy life and just be like everyone else and he's in the upper crust of society. But this is a manifesto, right? This is a yes. this is a he's a he's separate from society, he's critiquing it from the outside. This would be a YouTube video if it was completely fifty years later. It and would so be yeah, a guy being like and at least cars are goddamn or, or horses are human. <laughs> yeah, horses are. I love horses are human. I know it would be on Touch Point oh, Horses are human, guy. <laughs> yeah, horses are human, guy. Even though it's like that's kind of a good point. Horses are kind of human, more human than cars. Yeah. Um, but so I think you know when we talk about the murderers, you know, when we talk about the people who like read this book and are inspired to do like really anti-social, um, countercultural things. Countercultural has got more of a positive connotation than anti-social. But like the crazies, you get this guy, you get this kid who's entirely an outcast, and you get you gotta get it, you get inside his head. And you relate to him. He relates to you. You feel the way he feels. And this is the first time that kind of thing is coming out. He articulates the full scope of his anger at, at very specific things. It's mis- it's it's, it's mis- misanthropic and it's anti anti-social and anti-cultural. Yeah, he hates every part of the system he's in. That's yes, against the system. Yeah, and he's the benefactor of it. He's allowed to participate. I mean, he can afford to go stay in a hotel for three days and go take a girl he doesn't like to see the Lunts, like probably the most respected actors at the yeah. time. Right, this is like a 17-year-old kid with the equivalent of $1,000 in his bank account. Right? Probably some, something yeah. on those, I mean, right? Like yeah, that's at least a thousand. Probably even like 10000 in his bank account. 180 bucks. Mm, maybe 3000 4000 Wow. I don't know. I'll have to correct it later. I'll have to look it up. I should but invest in 1960s dollars. I think it's 1949. This book is. That's when it takes place. Yes. Okay. It's all of all post-war malaise. Okay. Okay. That's I that's. A, that. I took a post-war literature class, and Salinger comes up like a lot of the anxiety, of like, like Vonnegut's absurdity, like Updike, uh, Salinger, all those guys are all like they were in the war or they were directly affected by the war, and it's all like these. Everyone has to deal with the fact of massive death happened just an ocean away. <laughs> Oof, right. And they're dealing with that. And some people aren't, and it, it drives them crazy. That I think part of that is, too, is Salinger going, how can life continue like normal? How can there be... How can we be go ice skating and girls are showing me their their butts and their blue skirts? And how can we still be mad about cars and ca- and be, be mad about girls? And, like, right. when... The, the atom bomb was dropped. Why are we caring about these dumb things? And right. why are we still so separate from each other? To do that, to care about that at this point, would be very phony. phony. Woo! Yeah. And then the next part is, uh, I mean, he obviously she's upset that he said you're a royal pain in my ass. Yeah. And she says, no boy ever said that to me in my entire life. And so th- he's the first person to really like 
I mean, obviously. Obviously. Who would be rude enough to say that to? Well, is must be the prettiest girl in school. Not the Harvard boy. Not the uh, not the uh, you know uh, West Point boy or whatever the hell the yeah other guys. But he's apologizing a bunch, and then he just leaves. And then he says, "You want to know the truth? I didn't even know why I started all that stuff with her. I mean, I mean about going somewhere to Massachusetts, Vermont, and all. I probably wouldn't have taken her even if she wanted to go with me. She wouldn't have been anybody to go with. The terrible part, though." Is that I meant it when I asked her. That's the per- terrible part. I swear to God, I'm a madman. Yeah. So twice he's meant it and realized, like, why did I mean that at the time? And admitted he's a, he's crazy. He's yeah. crazy. I think it's been like three times. I'm 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 crazy. I was crazy to even say that. I'm a I'm being a crazy person. Like, yeah. He's like aware. It's like, oh, I was having a manic episode. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. And then, so he leaves. He thinks about giving old Jane another buzz. So who does he think after a date goes horribly awry of calling? Oh, Jane. Yeah. So this is the th- this is the eighteenth chapter, right? Yeah, we're back. We're in the, we're into eighteen. Yeah, we're on eighteen now. And so he thinks about calling Jane. Talks about how she went on a date with some guy that she hated. So that's oh, I didn't even make that connection. Is that she dates some phony guy? Uh, after we started. Yeah, how come she could date a show-off bastard like Al Pike? Yeah. And I think... Um, <laughs> Al Pike. Let's see. He's a diver. She was dating this terrible guy, Al Pike, that went to show it. I don't know him too well, but he was always hanging around the swimming pool. He wore those white lace-dex kind of swimming trunks. So he's just a hunk. <laughs> he's a hunk. And it was always going off the high dive. He did the same lousy half gain all day long. It was the only high dive he could do. But he thought he was very hot stuff. All muscles and no brains. All muscles and no brains. So it's like Stradlatter. So Jane has a type. She likes these muscly, tough yeah, guys. Yeah, jocks. Yeah. She loves jocks. Yeah. But here's another person where Holden is like, no, like me, this six foot three gray haired weirdo who has monologues about society. <laughs> I know. I know. She's sensitive, though. She'll, she'll come around. Yeah. How about Pike? Re- Pike is the kind of dive. Did you know that? Oh. Al Pike. Pike is a dive. Like a half, you do like a half tuck, touch your toes, and then you dive. That's a pike. Oh, so probably a little pun. Yeah, it must be. Then uh, he does a long rant about inferiority complexes. He does a lot of his little essays. I like that. I like this essay. I like this little this little rant. Um, is that like uh, if you if the if the guy if the girl likes the guy and they're a jerk, they say he has an inferiority complex. But if the girl does not like the guy and they're being a jerk, they're conceited. Yeah. If they actually do have an inferiority complex, they're conceited. Yeah. The reason... Okay, so there's this guy um, uh, he's talking about and... Uh, Named Bob Robinson. Bob re- Robinson. And he really had an inferiority complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could tell he was very ashamed of his parents and all because they said he don't and she don't and stuff like that and they weren't very wealthy, but he wasn't a bastard or anything. He was a very nice guy. But this Roberta Welsh's roommate didn't like him at all. She told Roberta he was too conceited. And the reason she thought he was too conceited was because he happened to mention to her that he was captain of the debating team. A little thing like that, and she thought he was conceited. Right. So, like, this is, uh, yeah, so, she, so they, if they uh, if they don't like him, no matter how nice a guy is, no or matter how, how big yeah, an inferior yeah. complex he has, they'll say he's conceited. Even smart girls do it. So, he's seeing that girls, I mean, this is the kind of the same thing you had with Sally, right? Yeah, it's Obviously. hormones. It's like, this guy... Is yeah. attractive. I will forgive him his flaws. Yeah. And this guy is not attractive to me. I will find flaws. So the hormones making you stupid. Uh, that's also. I mean, he mentions when he mentions the girls get so dumb when you start necking them or whatever. Yeah. It's like yeah, they're drunk off of hormones like this. You know, that they're, they're, yeah. they're. It's all. He doesn't forgive people the same things that he did. He just literally went on a date with a girl he hates. Yeah. <laughs> said he loved her, and then said she's a royal pain in the ass. <laughs> like he has no. 
grasp of his the times where he's like, I was being crazy, but he's never like, I was being so crazy. Someone else should write about me being crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then what I do like that. Anyway, I gave old Jane a buzz again. So he calls her again, but her phone didn't answer. So I had to hang up, man. So he keeps getting closer to getting Jane on the Obsessed. line. Obsessed. Uh, then I had to look through my address book to see who the hell might be available for the evening. The trouble was, though, my address book has only about three people in it. Jane and this man, Mr. Antolini, that was my teacher at Elkton Hills, and my father's office number. I keep forgetting to put people's names in. So the only people that he cares that he put in this book is Jane, Mr. Antolini, who comes up later. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing, and yep. his father. Yep. And no one else did he think, but even bothered to write down. But this older number. kid who was going to meet, meet him for a drink later, Carl, Carl Lutz. He just happens to know his number. I don't know. Yeah, he was the. I think he was the one. I uh, know. Never mind. He's not the one from Princeton. That the, the floozy. But nope. I do like this line where he goes. Ed. Uh, so he describes him. He was about three years older than I was, and didn't like him too much. But he was one of those very intellectual guys. He had the highest Q of any boy at Wooten. And he thought he might want to have dinner with me somewhere and have a slightly intellectual conversation. Okay, how about then cut to, I think he was pretty surprised to hear from me. I once called him a fat-assed po- <laughs> fat phony. <laughs> I can't even, I know, so blunt. So, such a twist. <laughs> I mean, it's not surprising that Holton would call someone a fat-ass phony, but it's funny to like lead up to like, this guy's great. I wanted to hang out with him. He's older <laughs> than me. He's very smart. I wanted to have a conversation with him. I once called him a fat-ass phony. <laughs> so like, it's, it's, like, it's like, why bring my ass into the yeah. insult at all? Yeah. <laughs> fat-ass phony. <laughs> fat-ass phony. So yeah, this is guy's like, I'll call this guy. I like him. He's a pretty smart guy. Hey, I hey. mean, he's surprised I call him because at one point, <laughs> I call him a fat-ass phony. <laughs> So yeah, everyone in his way in his past has to deal with. They have yeah. like, oh, I got a old Caulfield story this one time. Exactly. There's no one who he's he hasn't that guy. Called. He's the guy where it's like, oh yeah, I've I've met Holden here. Let me tell you a story about. He's mine. actually pretty nice because I know him, but yeah, he always called me a fat ass phony. So yeah, and then looky here, looky here. I had quite a bit of time to kill till ten o'clock. So what I did, I went to the movies at Radio City. Oh boy, this ought to be good. He's going to the movies. The thing he mentions hating. I love this. Last episode, I think I mentioned something about, like, Salinger brings something up, and then he layers it once with meaning. He layers it again with meaning, with characterization. It's like the movies. We've been over the movies, like, 15 times. It's crazy. Yeah. Every episode, we've been talking about movies, and now we finally get to watch Holden watch a movie. What's so bad about him, right? Yeah. And I I do like... Th- this part where he was like, I came in when the goddamn, he rants about the Rockettes. I came in when the goddamn stage show was on. The Rockettes were kicking their heads off the way they do when they're all in the line with their arms around each other at its waist. The audience applauded like mad, and some guy behind me kept saying to his wife, you know what that is? That's precision. <laughs> That's precision. <laughs> and I could just 100% see that, like, <laughs> middle-aged Midwestern guy who's, like, the guy who's, like, really into, like, like big planes where he's like, yeah, you know how yeah. strong you have to be to drive that, pl- like, obsessed with high-performance stuff as a, a way of attaching himself to... <laughs> Look at that. Was that a Hemi? Oh, man. That's you, precision. It's also kind but of But like it's so little... misplaced. It's just about, like, ladies' legs kicking, <laughs> kicking at the same time. Like it's, not like a, it's not like a machine. It's not like a lawnmower. Yeah, he's mansplaining the Rockettes to his wife. Yeah, he's like, you know what that is? That's precision. <laughs> like, like a Swiss watch up there. Look at him. I love it. 
<laughs> like he like thinks they're the the coolest. It's awesome. The height of engineering. So yeah. Yeah. Like they're a machine. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a funny rant about a guy came out in a tuxedo and roller skates on, started skating under a bunch of little tables and telling jokes while he did it. He's a very sk- good skater and all, but I couldn't enjoy much because I kept picturing him practicing to be a guy that roller skates on the stage. It seems so stupid. So like that is he, stupid. he has like when someone is good at something, it isn't being show offy. He just imagines them like, but you had to practice to get good at this. <laughs> but like think about that is I mean like to Holden's defense, that is so embarrassing. Oh a yeah. guy alone alone in a room practicing the art of ducking under tables while roller skating and telling jokes because you know he had to tell the jokes by himself. Yes. How how terrible is that where he goes, a guy says to his wife, you know, like he's ducking yeah, under Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's not my wife. That's a Cadillac. That's like, a Cadillac. Yeah. I didn't say that. Blind man. Where do you want your blinds? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then – they all make this. All the actors, thousands of them, come out saying, "Come all you faithful," uh, and it's supposed to be religious as hell, I know, and very pretty and all. But I can't see anything religious or pretty for God's sake about a bunch of actors carrying crucifixes all over the stage. When they were all finished and starting to go out of the boxes again, you could tell they could hardly wait to get a cigarette or something. So with old Sally Hayes a year before, she kept saying how beautiful it was, the costumes and all. I said, "Old Jesus probably would have puked if you could see it. <laughs> all those fancy costumes and all." Sally said I was a sacrilegious atheist. I probably am. And then here's the thing, though, that happens with a lot of these rants. He does twist and go, the one thing I did like. Yes. He goes, the thing Jesus really would have liked would be the guy that plays the kettle drums in the orchestra. I've watched that guy since I was about eight years old, my brother Allie and I. If we were with our parents and all, we used to move our seats and go way down so we could watch him. He's I love this. Let's so why, so we got to talk about what this means, right? So he, he loves the kettle drum player. The kettle drum player is focused on playing just a few big notes the whole time. Yeah, he has three times to play his big note. So a few things Holden seems to be impressed with is, one, the guy uh, does not look bored while he's waiting for his turn to play. Yes, he's part of the team. He's happy to be there. The other one is he uh, looks kind of nervous when he's making <laughs> – when he's when he's hitting the his part his but part of the thing. He doesn't want to so mess funny. up his three big chances. Yeah. So what is been this? Been doing this since he was eight years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ten years. I was thinking, like, I was like, did he play other stuff? Like, is he really good? Is he could he drum really fast? I bet he's like a percussionist. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the Rockettes, you're yeah, you went to a, a conservatory for or drums. the orchestra. Or this is not the Rockettes. He's that. He's not in a Rockette. He's right. Well, I mean, the Rockettes have an orchestra. Gotcha. He's in the orchestra. Right, right. right. Um, uh, so we're talking about Allie again as well. So this is something that him and Allie liked. He only gets a chance to bang them a couple times during the whole piece, but he never looks bored when he isn't doing it. Then when he does bang them, he does it so nice and sweet with his with his nervous expression on his face. One time when we went to Washington with my father, Allie sent him a postcard, <laughs> but I'll bet he never got it. We weren't too sure how to address it. So he's this mini celebrity in their family. Dear kettle drum man. Nervous guy. <laughs> <laughs> Happy but nervous guy. Yeah, yeah so it's funny. just like this. Like He's able to point out the sweetest part of the whole – because like, he, pu- he makes a fair point that – Jesus probably wouldn't be crazy about this very expensive theater putting on this like fake religious for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, where it's like this is not what Jesus wanted. Yeah, but he goes, you know what? I will say that this guy who's so happy to be here, so happy to participate, and is nervous about messing it up for everyone. Like he has the right spirit. He has. He is Christ-like. Yeah, he's. Yeah, Jesus would like this guy. I won't condemn all. He's not. He won't send them all to hell. He was like, I want to save this guy. This, yeah, this kettle drum player. What is it? What's the virtue though? What's the virtue he's seeing? 
I think humility for sure. This yep. guy is not bored. If he was like a arrogant guy, he's like, I only got to do three things, and I can just kind of smoke cigarettes and watch my fellow. But he's not. He's not bored. He's watching the show. And then when he does it, he's like, I better do a good job. Like, he's been doing this. He's a Rockheads drummer. Like, yeah. he's been doing this a long time. Yeah. And he still wants to make sure he's doing a good job. He's comfortable with his role in the, like, big picture, right? He's, he can play his part. Ha- gra- grateful for his yeah. role. Yeah. Holden is not able to play his part right now, so maybe that, maybe that's that. I don't know. Yeah. He's able to see a humble guy take his his big job seriously without being arrogant about it, without taking him for granted, and, like... He seems like, and no one's paying attention. He doesn't sign up. That's not a spotlight job. He plays no. three times. No. But he's happy to have his not spotlight job. Yeah. Now we get into the description of the goddamn movie. The goddamn picture, picture. started. It was so putrid I couldn't take my eyes off it. He sounds like Holden would like the podcast. How did this get made? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dissing. Uh, yeah, just dissing it. Very postmodern hating on movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, do you want to describe this plot of this movie? Yeah, let me, let me, let me uh, hit you with this. Um, it was about this English guy, Alex something that was in the war and loses his memory in the hospital and all. He comes out of the hospital carrying a cane and limping all over the place, all over London, not knowing who the hell he is. He's really a duke, but he doesn't know it. Then he meets this nice, homie, sincere girl getting on a bus. Her goddamn hat blows off and he catches it. And then they go upstairs and sit down and start talking about Charles Dickens. He's both their favorite author and all. He's carrying this copy of Oliver Twist and so she. I could have puked. Anyway, they fall in love right away on account of their both being so nuts about Charles Dickens and all, and he helps her run her publishing business. She's a publisher, this girl, only she's not doing so hot because her brother's a drunkard and he spends all their money. He's a very bitter guy, the brother, because he was a doctor in the war and now he can't operate anymore because his nerves are shot, and so he boozes all the time, but he's pretty witty and all. Anyway, old Alec writes a book and this girl publishes it, and they both make a hat full of dough on it. They're all set to get married when he, this other girl, Old Marcia shows up. Marcia was Alex's fiance before he lost his memory, and she recognizes him when he's in the store autographing books. She tells old Alec he's really a duke and all, and she doesn't believe her and doesn't want to go with her to visit his mother and all. His mother's blind as a bat, but the other girl, the homie one, makes him go. She's very noble and all, so he goes, but he still doesn't get his memory back. Even when his great Dane jumps all over him and his mother sticks her fingers all over his face and brings him this teddy bear he used to slobber around when he was a kid. But then one day, some kids are playing cricket on the lawn, and he gets smacked in the head with a cricket ball. Then right away, he gets his goddamn memory back, and he goes on and kisses his mother on the forehead and all. Then he starts being a regular duke again, and he forgets all about the homie babe that has the publishing business. I'd tell you the rest of the story, but I might puke if I did. It isn't that I'd spoil it for you or anything. There isn't anything to spoil, for Christ's sake. Anyway, it ends up with Alec and the homie babe getting married. And the brother that's a drunkard gets his nerves back and operates on Alec's mother. And so she can see again. And then the drunkard brother and old Marsha go for each other. It ends up with everybody at this long dinner table laughing their asses off because the Great Dane comes in with a bunch of puppies. Everybody thought that it was male, I suppose, or some goddamn thing. All I can say is, don't see it if you don't want to puke all over yourself. (laughs) So it sounds like a pretty good movie. <laughs> Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. Mr. Caulfield. So it's fake. It's contrived. I can see that there's so much contrivance in the plot, so much phoniness, right? Yeah, and it's, it's cliches even back then of an amnesia plot. Amnesia. A double amnesia plot. Good God. Getting hit in the head. That's contrivance. The dog comes in. Everyone marries each other. Everyone it's marries each other. That's so boring. The dog having puppies. That's such a cloying play for sympathy. You know, yeah. like, ooh, dogs, puppies. Got it. Yeah. 
It sounds like a plot of a but he saw a bad movie. Rags to riches, right? Saw a basic movie. But what I do like is that he couldn't stop describing it. Is that he goes, uh, I tell you the rest of the story, but I might puke if I did. It isn't that I'd spoil it for you or anything. There isn't anything to spoil for Christ's sake. Anyway, it ends up, he continues. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> He's like, I can't stop telling you about this movie. I will puke if I do it. Right, but that's that's his relationship to the film, right? Is that is that he hates he hates the pictures, yeah. but he can't stop going to see them. They're he everywhere. They're, yeah, they're all around. They're the Sally Hayes It's of like right art. now <laughs> when someone says they don't watch TV and I go, oh, you have like a laptop? And they go, no. I don't watch any TV. Like, I don't watch Netflix or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, shut up. Yeah, you do. Like, you you do, you know? Oh, you don't watch Sex in the City? Okay, yeah. I'm missing out. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. He's definitely trying to be a non-participator in, in like, this part of culture, and he keeps failing to do so. <laughs> yeah. He also hates, he's sitting next to this old lady, and she's uh, crying the whole time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so it sounds like she's a really good person, but she had this little kid with her <laughs> that was bored as hell and had to go to the bathroom, but she wouldn't take him. So, uh, uh, so it's like, uh, you take somebody that cries over the, their goddamn eyes out over phony stuff in the movies, and nine times out of ten, they're mean bastards at heart. I'm not kidding. So, another funniness about the movies is, uh, it it brings out fake emotions for dumb people. Exactly, for these phony people. So yeah, this like mean m- mom was like, oh, "I'm gonna cry at this touching picture," and it's like a life. It's basically a lifetime movie. Yeah, uh, and really moved by it. Uh, this this is is does his final monologue of the chapter, and it's a good monologue. But I do think the entrance into it, he's like really just like you know what, I'm just gonna do this monologue. <laughs> He goes, after the movie was over, I started walking down the wicker bar where I was supposed to meet old Carl Luce. And while I walked, I sort of thought about war and all. <laughs> so you think that uh, this is this is Salinger kind of shoehorning his thoughts about war in there? I think it is a little shoehorned. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a good monologue, but he definitely was like, how am I going to? I have this whole thing he wrote about war, and I want to put it down. <laughs> well, yeah, it's DB was in the war. Yeah, I don't think I can stand if I could go to war. My, br- my brother DB was in the Army for four goddamn years. He was in the war too. He landed on D-Day and all, but I really think he hated the army worse in the war. Uh, Salinger landed on D-Day. Oh wow! So I think he's like externalizing his feelings about that through DB, which is weird. We never heard this before about DB. I think, isn't it? A yeah, I think that he was on D-Day would be a huge deal. A so war veteran would be his first credit, as opposed to being an author or like maybe an author and a war veteran something. Yeah, I don't know. But DB definitely has PTSD. Then, if he was on D-Day, <laughs> yeah, probably right. Yeah. Uh, I was practically a child at the time, but I remember when he used to come home on furlough and all, all he did was lie on his bed practically. He hardly ever even came in the living room. So that's a depressed guy. Yeah. Later, when he went overseas and was in the war and all, he didn't get wounded or anything, and he didn't have to shoot anybody. All he had to do was drive some cowboy general around all day in a command car. He once told Ally and I that if he had to shoot anybody, he wouldn't know in which direction to shoot him. He said the army was practically as full of bastards as the Nazis were, which is... A could be seen as progressive or a bad sentence. <laughs> yeah, but it's I don't know. It's anti-war. It's, a, it's anti-war. Yeah, it's like everyone sure. like the army is full of the same idiots that the German army yeah. is. I think that's that's. I mean, that's like a, that's not crazy. It's not a crazy no, point. It's not a crazy point, but yeah. it is kind of interesting. Um, I remember Ali once asked him, "Wasn't it sort of good that he was in the war because he was a writer and it gave him a lot to write about?" And this all? is very personal for Salinger, then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And then he made Allie go get his baseball mitt and asked him who was the best war poet, Rupert Brooke or Emily Dickinson. Allie said Emily Dickinson. I don't know too much about it myself because I don't read much poetry, but I do know it would drive me crazy if I had to be in the Army and be with a bunch of guys like Ackley and Stradladder and Old Maurice all the time, huh. marching with them and all. What a group, those three guys. <laughs> Ackley, Stradladder, and, and Maurice. And from the hotel. I was in the Boy Scouts once for about a week, and I couldn't even stand looking at the back of the guy's neck in front of me. They kept telling you to look at the back of the guy's neck in front of you. I swear, if there's ever another war, they better just take me out and stick me in front of a firing squad. I wouldn't object. What gets me about DB, though, he hated the war so much, and yet he got me to read this book, A Farewell to Arms, last summer. He said it was so terrific. Yeah, he does not. Yeah, he reads it, and he, he hates it because it's, it's kind of pro-war, like glorifies war, right? Yeah. Essentially? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's about some, like, f- lieutenant that's supposed to be, yeah. But it was interesting is that, once again, DB f- falls short of Holden's expectations of, like, participating in cool culture. What it should be, yeah. Right, so, yeah, he's mad about, about war and how it's cool again. Once again, Holden's on the outside looking in. He can't fall in line, literally. He can't literally, fall in line. Literally, yeah. Can't look at a guy's back of his right, neck. Right, that's so symbolic, right? And all he can see is himself as being in the army with Maurice. With Maurice, yeah, these these toxic men. yeah. It had this guy in it named Lieutenant Henry that was supposed to be a nice guy and all. I don't see how DB could hate the Army and war and all so much and still like a phony like that. I mean, for instance, I don't see how he could like a phony book like that and still like that one by Ringlardner or that other one he's so crazy about, The Great Gatsby. Woo! Woo! DB got sore when he said that and I said it was and said I was too young and all to appreciate it, but I don't think so. I told him I like Ringlardner and The Great Gatsby and all. I did too. I was crazy about The Great Gatsby. Old, Old Gatsby. Gatsby. Old, Old sport. sport. That killed, killed me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I'm sort of glad they got the atomic bomb invented. If there's ever another war, I'm going to sit right the hell on top of it. I'll volunteer for it. I swear to God I will. <laughs> so it's fun. Little little Easter egg for us. That he loves The Great Gatsby. The Great, the great Gatsby's in there. So we need now we need to read another book. Next book we read needs to have Catcher in the Rye mentioned in it at some point or else we can't read it. Oh, we got to read the Ring Lardner book that he mentioned. Ring Lardner, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Or yeah, uh, what's it? Out of Africa? We got to read that one. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, the catcher in the eye has got to be mentioned. Maybe we'll. Re- oh, you know what it's mentioned in? Uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think. Oh, cool. So I read, we'll I read that. Yeah, I read that really quickly. Yeah, it's like a hundred pages. Yeah, it's very good for seventeen-year-olds. One subbing day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, old Gatsby, old sport. So, what do you make of this? Uh, of this war thing? I mean, uh, yeah, it does seem a little bit like uh, ham-fisted. Uh, yeah, he. I Salinger. think Salinger had wrote this whole thing about being in the war. I think he wanted to point out. Because DBs, we only know DB from Holden, and we don't really get much. He's probably the most important person to Holden because he's the older brother. He cares about Holden. He's smart. His parents seem to be almost out of the picture, uh, but DB keeps falling short. Of yep. he likes phony things. He works for the movies. He's in California when he could be in New York, uh, writing stories. But also, he was in the war. And clearly the war took a toll on him. Yeah. He came home and stayed in his room all day and then would come in the living room every once in a while. <laughs> but, like, was on D-Day. It wasn't himself, yeah. So we're trying to piece together who DB really is. Because DB seems like almost a super reasonable person. <laughs> like, he learned to skill writing, and now he's making a bunch of money off of it. Uh, 
I think at the end he got it, or at the beginning he mentioned his brother's coming to pick him up in a Jaguar. Jaguar, yeah, first chapter. With his British girlfriend that he yeah. has. Yeah, so not bad. Like, he's doing well. Like, he did not opt out. He chose writing as a way to opt in to the yeah, upper DB class. Yeah, DB is fully bought into the system, and I think it makes him different than Holden, for sure. Yeah. But he's also, it's weird for Holden because he chose art as a way to do it. So that his brother was able to use art to be part of the same systems that he's trying to get out of. Right. It's very confusing to him. It's weird. And that he likes mediocre things. Like he liked the uh, Laurence Olivier Hamlet. He yeah. liked the, this, uh, the Farewell to Arms. Maybe those things aren't mediocre. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's a Hemingway <laughs> and a Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hemingway and Shakespeare. No, that's uh, Farewell to Arms. Oh, wait. The Farewell to Arms is. Uh, never mind. It's Hemingway. All quiet on the. Wait, is that what he was reading? The Farewell to Arms? I, I, I Farewell to Arms is Hemingway. Yeah, that is. I thought it Don't was you quiet. dare look it up. I know it. Oh. For the longest time, I thought he read uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. No. Farewell to Arms. Wow, that totally slipped past me. Yeah. I uh, they didn't like it. Yeah, Hemingway and... Yeah, no. Farewell to Arms is a masterpiece. <laughs> I Yeah, I haven't read it. It's it's very good. Maybe we we'll could do, do it next. next. Yeah. I, I would not be mad I've never about. really gotten into Hemingway. Uh... It's a it's it's hit and miss. Some of the short stories I read uh, I read Sun Also Rises and actually I like that a lot I like that one a lot. So yeah, I mean he he deserves his reputation, but it's definitely hit and miss, and it definitely ages. Some of it ages mediocrely, just both for his personal politics and for his style has been aped so much that people do it better than him now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it becomes something that yeah, it becomes. It's the influence, but it's like it's the way like. Velvet Underground was right. so influential where it's like, when you listen to Velvet Underground, it's almost kind of boring because everyone has done it better. And it sounds kind of cliche because it's become cliche yeah. to copy that style. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, so I th- th- yeah, I think this is like, hey, here's DB. But this hero, like, every once in a while we get a look into DB, and it's not much. Like, he's probably the biggest mystery of the whole book. Is this... Yeah. What's DB like? This famous screenwriter brother who comes to vit like he goes out to California for his mental breakdown. His brother visits once a week. And he see like how did D B react to Allie's death? I'm sure it was hard on him. Right. How did D B like D B was in D Day. So he's like D B Day and he might have P T S D B. Yeah. So um I think that war chapter that war part was probably just he wanted to write about war and yeah. he wanted to be like what would Holden be like in war? I have I have some stuff to say about right. war. Yeah, yeah, that's him handed. But like, okay, in general, we're getting we're getting kind of Holden's sort of beliefs like really laid bare. He's about everything. Chapters. Yeah, like it, they're being spoken out loud. So like, if this was a movie, this is the scene where you would start to understand Holden as a character. I mean, like you start to like get behind him. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know everything at this point. Yeah, you can it's guess what he thinks about everything. Yeah. And it's also just like he's literally cannot conform. Like he had to stand in line in Boy Scouts and look at the back of a guy's neck. So it's been the whole time yeah. he's not been able to look at a guy back of the guy's neck. Right. So even at nine years old, he was like these phony bastards. So phony. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're uh, we're just finished eighteen. There's twenty six chapters, so that means there's eight left. Yeah, we're wrapping up here. Uh, we're gonna find out uh, how this how this uh, how this ends up. Uh, how does Catcher Rye end? Who knows. Who knows? Can't wait to can't wait to find out with all of you. Yes. Read along. <laughs> read along and we'll uh and don't read ahead. <laughs> don't read ahead. I, I don't. Um which could be, you know, a mistake. We'll see. Yeah. No, I'm uh it's it's definitely coming to, I think next is I think next he goes to see Phoebe. Oh, it's pronounced Phoebe. I thought it was Phoebe. 
Phoebe? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get to see the sister next time, so we'll round out the family in... Uh, yeah, the heart of the book. Yeah. That comes at the last six chapters. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kevin Lopkovich. And you can find Kevin on Twitter at Kevin Lopkovich, as well as me on Instagram at HaHartnet. Uh, and also, I'm HaHartnet at gmail.com if you want to drop me a line. Yeah, email them stuff. Your email thoughts. G chat me. Uh, let's be friends on uh, uh, Google Circle Hangout. All right. Thank you guys so much. See you next week. Goodbye. I love you. Amen.